0: Hello and welcome to the show that wants, nay demands, a six-season Netflix epic on the history of Cheltenham Athletic. This week on a show hopelessly compromised by unexpected absences, we look at Bristol City, the Championship's unexpected success story. We sent Matt Stanger to Cheltenham Athletic for the 25th anniversary of their return to the Valley and he caught a cold and he's in bed right now. So we'll do what we can without him. There was a big clash in League Two this weekend. First versus second. Luton Town versus Notts County. We're all over that one. We've got most of the usual stuff. The histories. By thunder have we got the histories today. The fan league. The odds. The only thing we haven't got is Matt. It's the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Sue Cook's pulled out. Yep. Slight change to the programme today, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Batting for Matt Stanger, we welcome David Priest back to the studio.
1: Second choice, but not the worst choice, though.
0: (laughs) Second choice, Priesty. And in the absence of our advertised guest, Jason Newell, we've got Adam Bate from Sky.
2: Hello. Hello, Ian. I would rather be replacing Matt, I think, set the bar low.
0: Poor Matt, he's going to be listening to this right now, feeling even worse. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you in the studio. You're a Wolves fan, aren't you?
2: I am, yes, so this is probably a good chance to talk about them before they, they leave this show's uh, <laughs> realm, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, that confident? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't blame you, to be honest. They're really very good at football. All right, let's get cracking. Uh, remember, guys, the door is open. This show's like the Liverpool team of the 1980s. People didn't want to get injured just in case they never got their place back, if you're listening, Matt. Let's go to the Championship. Ben, fire up the music. We here at the Totally Football League show would like to apologise for suggesting that Wolves against Sunderland was the homiest home win in the history of football. We'd like to thank our guest James Brown for preserving a little of the show's credibility by reminding us that anything can happen, as it duly did. Wolves nil, Sunderland nil. Sorry. Elsewhere, Bristol City's extraordinary surge continues at an inversely proportional rate to Sheffield United's decline, the two lines crossing on Friday night when the Robins beat the Blades 2-1 at Bramall Lane, and Leeds United, who we might have mentioned once or twice last week, are just four points off the playoffs now, having beaten QPR 3-1.
1: Nigel Atkins enjoyed a flying start to life in Hull on Saturday, the Tigers held on to beat Brentford 3-2 and they've put six points between themselves in the drop zone. Birmingham on the other hand are deep in the sticky stuff, they've lost 1-0 at Fulham, they've only won once in their last six games and the pressure's building again already. And it's already hard to see Burton surviving, they lost 2-1 at home to Preston, conceding the 40th goal of the season in the process.
0: Middlesbrough are back on track, they beat Ipswich 2-0 on Saturday, a result that just about keeps them in touch with the playoffs. Sheffield Wednesday had hopes of being up there with them and were leading Norwich 1-0 at half-time, only to lose 3-1. And Bolton's impressive response to that seemingly eternal run of defeats has been truncated by a 3-2 defeat to Nottingham Forest. Derby County
1: are absolutely flying. They start the season poorly, but their 3-0 away winner, Barnsley, lifts them to fourth in the table. They rose above Aston Villa, who drew 0-0 with Millwall. And there was another exciting finish to a televised Monday night game. Reading were leading Cardiff 2-0 with 7 minutes to go, only to let the Bluebirds back in into the game. First through Joe Bennett, and then in injury time, Lee Tomlin equalised. They're four points behind Wolves in second.
0: Ah, they certainly are. I didn't switch that one off in injury time. Learned my lesson. Uh, Bristol City then, uh, they finished 18th in 2016, held up by the goals of Jonathan Codger. They finished 17th in 2017 held up by the goals of Tammy Abraham. Uh, manager Lee Johnson, son of former manager Gary Johnson, of course, seemed like he was on borrowed time after just one win in the first five games of the season. Who all kind of expected the inevitable, but they've won six of the last eight, David.
1: I think it's a it's a great case for for somebody backing their manager and having a faith in the manager because I mean they, they didn't have a great season last year either, and, and going into this year there's still a lot of hope. Obviously they probably didn't didn't think they were going to be third at this point in the season, but they what they have got there they've got a a real good group of players and it's not just about recruitment it's about once they get those players in that are big on the environment that they're creating and they they they're creating a a, a team that's. Um, where they, they don't want any passengers, they don't want anybody who's going to upset the apple cart and as well as getting the right players in, I think a big, big part of their process was getting the, the wrong players out and making sure you got them out quickly. They seem to have got that uh, now and uh, you can you can see that the way they're playing, they're, they're, very, uh, they're very orientated on, to, on their set pieces. Uh, they score a lot of goals from set pieces and, uh, and it helps when you've got a goal scorer in centre-half as well.
0: Absolutely. One who's six foot six. Um, Adam, did you watch the game against Sheffield United on Friday night? I did. Night?
2: I saw the four times they hit the woodwork. It's so, yeah, incredible, Sheffield, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little fortunate, I think, in that one. But it's the, it's the team spirit, isn't it? And it's late goals. Um, I agree with David about the, the recruitment because a lot of the key players there this season were there last season, weren't they? Um, you would have thought losing Tammy Abraham, but it, it's... Players that were there, like Corey Smith, and I think Nathan Baker has been just as important as uh, as Flint at the back. Um, but I'm, I'm just interested to talk about Flint just because the amount of goals he scores. I just think, <laughs> I think you know, even if he's not that good a defender, you know, if he's making more mistakes than than Baker or whatever, that's just an outrageous amount of goals to be scoring. Fifteen when they went up, and and six this season already.
0: It's just extraordinary. Well, they almost lost him, didn't they, David? Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the summer, the. Uh,
1: it, it, it's, I think it's no secret that, that birmingham were were trying to sign him before they signed mark Roberts, and he just signed a new contract last season which uh, which gave him a hefty pay rise and and I know the they were perhaps a little disappointed that he, he might uh, even think about moving to to into another championship uh, team, even though Birmingham again would would give him another hefty pay rise but they, they they went the first month of the season without him because of this you know he's he 's had his head turned and and all the way up to the to the transfer window closing, I think uh, he probably has had one eye in Birmingham as well. And since then, he's he's been the consummate pro. I Think he's got, got his head down, and uh, to the point now, where I think they are even considering uh, extending his contract at Bristol City. So it's turned around totally for him. And You're right about his goal scoring. It, I think it, even on, in training on Thursday morning, he scored uh, he scored four goals from set pieces in in just a. One train session, so you Not know. Not just it, headers either, are they? The volleys and all sorts. It is composed, and, and it, even though when it, when it comes to uh, being the defender. He, he sticks his head on it. He's, a, he's an all out defender, but he has brought that other part of it into his game. He is more of a, you know, he is trying to play a little bit more rather than just being that uh, that uh, header and kick type of defender.
0: Let's talk about that game just a bit. Um, Lee Johnson said afterwards it had to change the tactics three times during the game to respond to what Sheffield United were doing. Now, on the one hand, that's. That's really good, that's great that the manager's accepting it, but also it does indicate that Sheffield United were kind of pulling them all over the place for much of the game, doesn't it?
1: Well, I think it's, it's, the key to it was that they were playing three at the back and it's almost like they've got overlapping centre-halves. So both centre-halves uh, join in and they're overloading in the midfield and it becomes a real problem, uh, especially when you go into press and, the, and it, it brings you out of your shape and they just start passing around you. And It wasn't until they went to three at the back themselves that Bristol City really got a hold on it and, of course... The, the sending off changes things in their favour as well. But yeah, let's
0: it, let's review that for a moment. Adam, you've, you've seen it the um, the John Fleck two footed tackle on Corey Smith. Chris Wilder said after the game, he said the game is gone if you can't tackle like that. Now that was just a proper tackle, was it? No, no,
2: <laughs> no. I mean, he's got quite a nasty gash on his his leg, hasn't he? There's talk of him maybe being out briefly for, for a game or two, um, which would be a big miss. He's an important player for them. Jamie Patterson's they look a different team when he plays as well. Um, I just to go back to what David said about being a good example of, of sticking with a manager. I think this is the new sort of Sir Alex Ferguson for sticking by a manager, really for the new generation. Because <laughs> there's going to be loads of football league managers saying, "Look, he lost eight in a row. Don't sack me. You know, you can you can turn it around." And there the weren't the clues that this was going to happen. They, then he sacked the assistant manager with ten to go. They're in the relegation zone. It's extraordinary,
0: really. it It doesn't happen very often, does it? In fact, I'm struggling to think of a recent example of a, a manager really... I mean, he'd, he'd lost the fans, hadn't he? Yeah, well,
1: it happened from before Barnsley as well, to be honest. I mean, they, they, I think they might be eleven, twelve 11, 12 games without winning before they started to turn around at Barnsley. But if you look at the team that, uh, that came up with Paul Heck and the players they've sold, a lot of them were signed under Lee Johnson as well, the likes of Alfie Mawson, uh, Conor, Conor Huron... Uh, Molly um, Watkins so uh, recruitment is uh, if he's given enough time it's clear that uh, he's he's got the, the the right skills in the recruitment area to to make a success if he's given it long term
2: and Bobby Reid scored a lot of goals for them I mean he'd scored more goals this season in by mid-August than he scored last season Yeah, as they're, well.
0: they're never short of a goal scorer are they um, let's turn our attention to the big question though Can they go up? Bristol, of course, the um, biggest city never to have had a top-flight football team. Does that end this year?
2: I think it's going to be difficult. They've got some big games coming up. I mean, just over Christmas, either side of New Year, they've got Wolves and Aston Villa with one day in between. They've got Man United game coming up. So there's some big games coming up over Christmas. I think, you know, this this might be my Jimmy Hill moment with the Romania team in the 90s (laughs) where he said about the blonde hair and it being an important that they could spot them in their peripheral vision, so you're going to laugh at me, but I think the GIFs are the key. Uh, Do you know what? You know, I, I agree
0: with you, I think but, it could but be, expand.
2: Well, if you've recorded that GIF as Santa Claus or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that, you know, cold hard cash is a motivator with goal bonuses, but I don't, David, was that goal bonuses <laughs> weren't a big thing for you, but I reckon this could be the thing. If, if you've recorded that, You want to score your goal, don't
0: you? (laughs) You want to score your goal so you You get yourself going viral. The warm embrace of
2: social media, that that is what we live for, isn't it? It hasn't
0: been warm for a while, but...
1: But like I said before about the recruitment, it's not just about... They haven't just gone for for talented players yet, It's, it's important, but they've went for the right characters... And, and, and all these gifts, it's all part of what they're trying to do there. Yeah. They're all trying to build a, the, the right environment for them to succeed.
0: No, we, we spoke about this briefly last week. Uh, James Brown wasn't massively impressed, but I think it, it speaks well of the spirit in the club. Um, you know, because clubs can have kind of broken relationships across departments, you, and QPR in particular over recent years. I know there's been problems behind the scenes there. But if you've got a press department doing that and you've got the players getting involved, it, it kind of speaks well for the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, and I think you, you probably wouldn't do it if you weren't, things weren't going well. Yeah. If that was Aidan Flynn scoring a goal in a 3-1 in defeat... I don't think they'll be, be, be tweeting
0: gifts out.
2: Um, narrow victories as well are a sign of a good team spirit, aren't they? And hanging on and that sort of thing.
0: Um, producer Ben tells me they, if they do go up, they shouldn't have any problem attracting players because Bristol was voted the best city to live in in Britain in the Sunday Times Best Places to Live Guide of 2017 and one of the ten happiest cities to, uh, to work in the UK. Is that your experience of Bristol?
2: Yes, I've never been.
0: <laughs> David, fan of Bristol? A,
1: it's a very good night out. Yeah, Some very good bars. That's, that's the extent of my knowledge of Bristol.
0: Uh, I can also tell you that Hollywood legend Cary Grant, who, uh, like yourself, had a magnificent moustache, uh, he was born in Bristol as well. Interesting. Oh, there you go. If you want to go, and now would be a really good time to go and watch Bristol City. Uh, if you're not a member, you're looking at 26 to £36 pound for an adult ticket, uh, under-12s for 10 to £15. Pound. There's very limited parking around Ashton Gate, and the club does encourage you to take the train. Parson Street Station is what you want, a uh, 15-minute walk after that. Or how about taking a bike? There are 96 bicycle parking spaces available to supporters outside of the South Stand, and the club even provide a free bike pump. When we come back, we'll be playing the Fan League. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know! Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Right, time for the Fan League. You know how this works. It's an app-type Fan League into the App Store. you find it there. You get a slip of 13 games, and you just pick home win, away win, or draw. It's as easy as that. Um, There are, as I say, 13 games. About four or five of them are championship games. We've got five this week for you. Let's start with Birmingham QPR. Adam, Birmingham Birmingham are allergic to goals Three in the last ten games Can you see them turning it around here?
2: No, I'm going to go for a draw A draw? No, no, no. Uh, Steve Cottrell claimed that he, they should have got something against Wolves Despite not having a shot on target I thought that was a bit
0: That's a, bold, a bit bold, bold claim David, QPR haven't won in six And you get the feeling if they don't win this one It's going to look a bit, a bit tight for Ian Holloway
1: I'm going to go for a 1-0 win for QPR Yeah?
0: Yeah I mean, I
1: almost changed my mind when you told us they hadn't won, won in six games. <laughs> no, but I will go 1-0, yeah, I think. They're, they're yeah,
0: I, I think QPR would just, just about edge this. I'm, I'm never confident backing a team that can't score goals at all. Uh, Derby against Aston Villa. I'm not sure what to make of Aston Villa this season. They don't seem quite there. But Derby, Derby are in good form right now. Fantastic win away at Barnsley last weekend. They're up to fourth now. David? They've only lost one goal in five games, so it's difficult
1: to see them getting beat. Yeah. I'll go for 2-1 Derby.
0: Mm-hmm, interesting.
2: Yeah, I'll go the same, actually. That's what I was going to say. Another Derby win. I think win. just when Villa get momentum, they seem to lose it, don't they?
0: Yeah, I can't Yeah, can't quite see Villa making automatic promotion. I think they'll make the playoffs, but yeah, I think home win there as well. Right, tricky one. Millwall against Middlesbrough. Millwall, decent record at the Den, beating some big teams there. Borough, another team who can't quite get their season going. Good win over Ipswich last weekend, but I don't know which way this is going to go, so I'm just going to say draw. David? I'm going to go for 3-1 Millwall. Whoa. Big shout. Yeah. Okay. Adam, is he mad?
2: No, I'll say 2-1 Millwall. I think uh, Gary Monk's in a bit of trouble.
0: Unless we're both mad. (laughs) That's a lot of love for the Lions. Uh, Gary Monk's former club, Leeds, they're at home to Norwich. Now, Leeds have won three in their last five. James Brown last week, he said that he felt they'd come through that wobble. But Norwich had a good result last weekend. First win in ages, uh, coming back against Sheffield Wednesday. So it's another difficult one. On balance, though, Leeds at Elland Road. It'll take something to stop me saying home win there. I don't know. Did, uh, did you see the little
1: video of um, Gattuso that was going around saying it, it was uh, this is what Leeds are like and it was uh, sometimes maybe... Good. Sometimes maybe bad. He didn't use those words. That's exactly what leads are. So it's either going to be three nil leads or three uh, nil Norwich. So I'm going to go for three nil leads.
0: Okay, Adam.
1: I'll disagree and go two two.
0: Now, final one: Preston against Sheffield United. I know Sheffield United haven't had very good results recently. Their form doesn't look great, but I'm I'm not sure they're in decline after hitting the post four times against Bristol City. Um. I, I'm, I'm backing them to win this, get back on track. Not just that, it was a wonder save by Frankie Fielding as well. Oh, yeah. Forgotten about that. Save
1: yeah. Um, yeah, fancy Chef United. Um, 2 0 Sheffield United.
0: Adam? I'll go 2 1 Sheffield United. Okay. All right, well, that's the Fan League. Uh, if you want to play along with us, download the Fan League from the App Store. Then find me, Ian McIntosh, and you can join the Totally Football League League. When we come back, League One. All right, time for League One. Wigan move four points clear at the top of the division after a straightforward 2-0 victory over Fleetwood Town. Not a single shot on target there for Uwe Rosler's men. It's five wins on the bounce for Matt Stanger's Blackburn Rovers. Not that he owns them, but I think their situation would be improved if he did. Uh, They beat Peterborough 3-2 away from home. Rovers are third. And our appoint Richie Wellens campaign further vindicated this week by their 5-1 win over Northampton. The Sexy Owls are up to 16th now. They're only nine points off the playoffs. After back-to-back defeats, Shrewsbury need a late Sean Wally goal
1: to salvage a point away at MK Dons. Charlton's playoff push was damaged by their 1-0 defeat at home to Portsmouth. Pompey with four wins in six now, and you have to feel sorry for Rochdale. They kept pegging Bradford back only to lose 4-3 in the end. The Bantams are just two points off Shrewsbury now.
0: Everyone loves a relegation knife fight, and they don't get more dramatic than Plymouth's 2-1 win over fellow strugglers Gillingham, 1-1 after 90 minutes, and then come on Andy, practice that. Diego Goraga scores the winner for the Pilgrims speaking of last minute winners Oxford manager Pep Clotet took to Twitter again to thank the supporters for driving his team on to their last gasp 1-0 win over Doncaster they're up to 8th and Scunthorpe's fine form was ended on Saturday they lost away to Walsall Rotherham finally won a game two goals from David Ball sealed an excellent comeback away at
1: Blackpool it felt like a promotion said manager Paul Warren they're six points off the playoffs so a real one isn't out of the question. It might be out of the question for Southend, Ian. They were walloped 3-0 by Bristol Rovers. As for Bury and Wimbledon, their game was postponed. Bury remain bottom, Wimbledon are 20th.
0: So, from what we've learned since we started this Football League odyssey, football clubs were generally formed in the Victorian era by factory workers or churchgoers, or in Wickham's case, bespoke luxury chairmakers. Cholton, though, they were formed in 1905 by kids, teenagers who liked to kick about. They got the red and white kit from a local draper's, they stuck an ad in the paper for opponents, and they entered the Lewisham League in 1906. They meandered around south-east London, making their home on the Woolwich Common, on Pound Park, on the Angustine Athletic Ground, but they were always overshadowed by their illustrious neighbours, arsenal. In 1913, however, Arsenal pulled an MK Dons and skipped off to a more prosperous location. Of course, one year later, there were rather more important things to worry about. But when that ended, Chelton found their spiritual home, a sand and chalk pit known as the Swamps. It wasn't even big enough for a football pitch, so everyone had to grab a shovel and literally dig out the pitch. And that pitch became known as the Valley. In 1920, Charlton went professional. In 1923, they went on a bit of an FA Cup run, beating three First Division clubs and making the quarterfinals. But it didn't spark much interest in the team, and they left the Valley for a brief dalliance in Catford. That didn't last. Jimmy Seed became manager in 1933, but he had to find a new goalkeeper the following year when his first choice, Scotsman Alex Wright, was killed in a freak accident. After a brilliant performance against Torquay the day before, Charlton's players were relaxing in the sea. Wright dived headfirst off a diving raft, but didn't realise that the water was only three foot deep, perhaps even less according to the inquests that followed, and he broke his neck, dying in hospital later. Seed, however, continued the work. He led Charlton to the second division in 35 and the first division in 36, and where did they finish in 37? Only bloody second behind Man City. And the Valley, the place that had struggled for crowds, they got 75,000 there in 1938 for a cup tie with Villa. They finished top four three times in the late 30s, and I tell you, when the 1939-1940 season began, they had really high hopes. Seed was still there after the Second World War, and in 1947 he won the FA Cup at Wembley, but the good times didn't last. He was sacked in '56. Charlton were relegated in '57. The following season, however, saw the greatest comeback in football ever, Istanbul, in 1958, Charlton were 5-1 down to Bill Shankly's Huddersfield, with 28 minutes left and 10 men on the field, and they won 7-6. Sixties weren't so hot, Charlton went from the second to the third in 72, bobbled between the two for a bit, narrowly avoided bankruptcy in 84, and were forced to leave the valley in 85 for a spell at Selhurst Park. Despite all of that, Lenny Lawrence got them up to the first division in 86, stayed there after winning the playoffs, these being the days when the fourth bottom team had to scrap it out with three upstarts from the second division. They survived on the last day in 88 as well, relegating Chelsea in the process. In 89, a way back to the valley was found, but it depended on thousands of volunteers getting themselves over there to basically weed the terraces. Uh, Greenwich Council tried to get in the way, so they set up their own political party, the Valley Party, to contest local elections. Uh, In 1990, though, Charlton were finally relegated and Lenny Lawrence left. He was replaced by the untested player partnership of Alan Kerbishley and Steve Gritt. In 1992, they returned to the Valley, triumphant in more ways than one. They beat Portsmouth 1-0, and now we have to fast forward. They played their part in another of the greatest games ever, beating Sunderland on penalties in the playoff final at Wembley in 1997 after a four-all draw. They stayed in the top flight for ten years under Kirbishley, the last couple of seasons characterised by a number of Charlton fans phoning 606, plaintively begging for Kerbs to be sacked and replaced by someone to take them to the next level. In 2006, a tag team of Ian Dowie, Les Reed, and Alan Pardew duly obliged and they haven't been back since if it was down to me I'd spend another 10 minutes telling you all how wonderful Chris Powell is but let's finish in 2014 with the takeover of the club by Roland Duchelet which on balance has not gone well Charlton hasn't been a happy place for a while it isn't sorted yet even with Duchelet's recent pledge to leave but manager Carl Robinson has certainly helped guys you still with me yes (laughs) that feels like 20 minutes (laughs) that's
2: therapy for the Charlton fans isn't it really because <laughs> it shows that in the context of this mess it's actually there's been there's some low times there. so
0: much there's history been no there.
2: diving incidents no of, of, of that kind i'll tell
0: it? you what i should just say if you enjoyed that um who wouldn't follow the Charlton athletic museum on twitter that is at chath museum so carl robinson a sort of piece has broken out um He's the only David. He's the only kind of manager who could have come in and taken this, isn't he, with his personality? I think that's what clubs like Charlton need. You know,
1: he's in a long line of managers now who are not just battling against other sides; they're battling against his own, his own owners and his own board. And I think sometimes you need that. Sunderland's needed that for a long time. Somebody to fund up to the to the owner and uh, and, and the board and to. And to really challenge them, rather than just going along with with whatever they say, because obviously it's they're going in the wrong direction. And uh, he's certainly sort of maybe he's abrasive is not the right word, but he's, he's combative and he and, and he will have a go at anybody who gets in his way. And I think uh, he's the right man for the for the for the job at the moment.
0: I mean, Duchelet mercifully appears to have given up. He said that it it was a mistake getting involved in Charlton, which is is certainly true. Um, He wants to sell the club and leave. What was it that went wrong there for him?
1: Well, I think a big factor in it was the... Forcing players on coaches and managers that they didn't want, uh, whether they were good players or not, it's 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 difficult for for a manager or a coach to to accept being told by somebody else how to do your job, basically. And uh, so those players never really stand a chance. I mean, it's you know they, they've got great links to Belgium, and Belgian leagues a great sort of uh, source to be mined for for players. But I think. Um, it, it, it's always going to be upset the apple cart and it's, it's always going to be friction between management and coaches and, and, and owners if that's going to be the case
0: Yeah, Chris Chris Powell um, who brought them back from the third division of course dismissed shortly afterwards uh, after the takeover which is a hell of a thing to do when it's Chris Powell and I'm not just saying this because I adore him um, but he he was a hero there Yeah, of course and
1: then the rest of the staff that's, that stayed there for a little bit longer it, it just all turned sour and... and it's hard enough to win football matches when you you know when you've got everything on a level playing field, but when you're, you're fighting against what's upstairs and there's so much uh, I don't know animosity between people and between different departments, it just makes it so much more difficult.
0: It's a it's a bit of a thin squad. Um, Robinson's doing very very well there. A couple of players stand out though. Uh, for me, uh, Ricky Holmes, who came through the Caroline Barker's Chelmsford City. As I believe we we should refer to them, um, he's a he's a fine talent, really mercurial winger. Cuts in, causes all kinds of problems, and certainly caused Southend all kinds of problems earlier this season. Uh, but Ben Amos has caught the eye as well, hasn't he, David? He has,
1: and um, it's about time really for him. Uh, he spent a lot of his career at Manchester United, not got a lot of games under his belt for for his age, twenty seven now, and uh, it's about time that uh, that he he played more regularly. Now he's on loan from Bolton. Who obviously, uh, who signed for Manchester United, and uh, his high wage there there a bit of a problem? That's why he's out on loan. So it's, um, it, it's a, you know, it, it's a, it's a great platform now for him to to play games. And uh, you'd like to think that uh, they could make a more permanent deal.
0: And it wasn't a great day on Saturday. It's such a shame Matt isn't here um, because he he was at, actually at the game. Um, so you have to forgive us if we're a little light on detail here. Um, but it wasn't a great display by Chelton. Ben Amos, though, responsible for the only high point, that uh, outstanding penalty save.
1: Yeah, it was a brilliant penalty save and he's uh, celebrated like all good penalty saves should be. Like yeah. he's
0: won the World Cup.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a shame it was one, the 1-0 one down at the time. <laughs>
0: It was a really soft penalty as well, wasn't it? I mean, if Jurgen Klopp saw that, he'd be like, OK, I really haven't got anything to complain about.
1: No, well, I mean, if if you he didn't hear the referee's whistle, he wouldn't have thought anything was going on that was <laughs> such a nondescript challenge.
0: Adam, Lee Bowyer's back. Yes. Um, he's assistant manager now. There's a lovely piece, a uh, lovely interview by Nick Ames in The Observer a while back, if you're interested, uh, to go check that out. Um, he's sort of rebuilding his reputation, isn't he?
2: Yeah, uh, Carl Robinson likes to bring in these sort of... Uh, Big name player. I remember Ian Wright was with him, wasn't he at uh, MK Dons? Um, yeah, I mean, I think he knows what he's doing in that league, doesn't he? Carl Robinson. He's had success there, and they've had some managers who don't have a clue about League One. And he, he seems to be somebody that who, whatever owner comes in, he's someone who should stay.
0: Anyone want a Lee Bowyer fact? Yes, please. Oh, good man, good man. He uh, he left football behind to run a carp fishing lake in France. Now, now he's back. So carp fishing, obviously not that attractive. No, he wasn't hooked by it, was he? (laughs) Matt's not here, but his terrible, terrible puns are. Um, And of course, the final question to be answered: the uh, origins of the nickname Addicts. Do you know this, David? No. Adam, kind of thing. Uh, Right, I had this checked out by the uh, Cheltenham Museum, who, again, you can follow on Twitter. Uh, Pre-Football League days, the players would treat the visiting team to a post-match meal of haddock and chips. Uh, The fishmonger who supplied them was one Arthur Bryan, who traded at nearby East Street, Um, and by repute, he attended matches with a haddock nailed to a stick as an advertising stunt. Not a man you want to be sat anywhere near during the game, particularly in sunny weather. Um, So haddock... In south-east London. Addict! Addict! And they became the Addicts. Wow. Hey, every day's a school day. If you want to go see Charlton, you can get adult tickets for around about 20 quid, depending on where you sit. Prices for under 11 start at Fiverr. You can park at the Valley for £30 plus VAT. Um, But Charlton Station is just a three-minute walk. North Greenwich is the closest tube. That's ten minutes away, but there's loads of buses. Uh, When we come back, we'll be looking at League Two. Welcome back to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill and it's time for the League Two Roundup. It was all square in League Two's Clash of the Titans on Saturday. We'll hear a bit more about it in a sec but Luton Town notched up their 35th home goal of the season in the first half and then Notts County equalised through the timeless dominance of Shola Amiobi right on the hour. Morecambe had a massive win on Saturday, though. They beat Coventry 2-0. They would have been in the drop zone without those points. And the division's game of the day was almost certainly at the Rodney Parade, where Newport and Carlisle shared six goals in the space of 26 minutes and drew 3 all. There was a massive win for Chesterfield this weekend.
1: A last-minute goal from Robbie Weir snatched the three points for the Spirites, but it condemned Barnet to the foot of the Football League. Mansfield Town's inconsistency continues. They were beaten 2-0 by Harry Kewell's Crawley Town. Steve Evans was not amused. And things are picking up for Grimsby. They beat Forest Green 1-0, Mark Cooper side at 23rd.
0: Lincoln City continue to battle away for a playoff place. They beat Yeovil 2-0 at the weekend. Wickham are only three points off that slot themselves, but their failure to beat Stevenage costs them the chance to narrow the gap. 0-0 there. And to continue a good weekend for teams who were tits deep in the brown stuff not so long ago, two goals for Christian Montano, so Port Vale rise up to the heady heights of 19th. The crew are still sliding down
1: the table. They lost 1-0 away at Cheltenham and they're 22nd now, only out of the drop zone on goal difference. Remember early leaders Exeter and the way they smashed up with the division in the opening weeks? They're down to fourth after a surprise 3-1 defeat to Colchester. And Accrington Stanley against Swindon? Postponed. Accrington remain in third place.
0: Right, Luton Town. I promise I'll be quicker than 20 minutes this time. I'll be 19. Luton Town were formed in 1885, a merger between Posh People's Club, The Wanderers, quite a few of them knocking around, and the Proletarian workers' team Excelsior. They played their games at Dallow Lane, a pitch next to a railway line, which meant if the wind was in the wrong direction, supporters might be engulfed in steam and have their hats blown from their heads. I'd like to thank the, uh, the website The Beautiful History for that one. Luton were the first Southern team to turn professional. They were admitted to Division 2 in 1897. Unfortunately, most of the other teams were off the North, and the travel expenses nearly killed the club outright. Tail between legs, they returned to the Southern League. They moved to Kenilworth Road in 1905 and joined Division 3 in 1920. They were promoted to Division 1 in 1955, reached the FA Cup final in 59 only to lose to Nottingham Forest. They dropped out of the top flight in 1960. They're in the fourth division by 65. But then they bounced back. They won the fourth division in 68 and they were back in the first for the 74-75 season. Only for one campaign, though. Luton's golden age, that was the 1980s. They rose back to the top flight under promising young manager David Pleat in 1982 and they stayed up on the last day of the following season thanks to a Radiantic goal that brought that famous jig of delight from the manager. They weren't a popular team in the 1980s, Luton. They installed a plastic pitch in 1985 and after a terrifying night of violence before, during and after their clash with Millwall that year Chairman David Evans, described in his Guardian obituary as the Thatcherite of Thatcherites banned away fans and introduced an identity card scheme. We became pariahs, David Pleat said. He was a naughty boy, David. He was Mrs Thatcher's plaything. He wanted a safe Tory seat. I didn't agree with it, but there was no discussion, no debate. Incidentally, have a read of Sean Ingle's piece in The Guardian on that, on that game. It's brilliant. Uh, anyway... Uh, Luton finished 7th in 1987. They won the League Cup in 1988 after a dramatic Wembley tussle with Arsenal. That was the day that Andy Dibble's name was written into legend. They were back at Wembley the following year, but as they did in 1959, they lost to Nottingham Forest. Luton were one of the rebel clubs that voted to leave the Football League for the Premier League, but they were relegated in 1992 and they never got to play in it pulling the ladder up and then falling through the trapdoor, doomed to spend the next 25 years wondering where the ladder had gone. And by thunder, did they pay a heavy price for that. After three seasons of struggle, they dropped into the third division in 96 and the fourth in 2001. And in 2003, John Gurney arrived. Now, Gurney, and I've had to keep this short... Mooted merging with Wimbledon in order to get, and I quote, a backdoor into Division 1, he wanted to build a 70,000-seater stadium next to the M1 and change the club's name to match the airport. Yes, he wanted to call them London Luton. After sacking Joe Kinnear, he launched a pop idol-style phone poll to pick the next manager, which, by an extraordinary quirk, saw the cheapest option Mike Newell win, which was very handy because Newell had signed a contract an hour before the phone lines closed. In fairness, though, Newell actually did do quite well. So, how did the fans get Gurney out? Well, in the words of Jim White and The Telegraph... In a splendidly organised coup d'etat, they bought shares in a sleeping company which held a debenture on Luton's ground and then called in a multi-million pound debt. Gurney was declared bankrupt in 2008, and while we take absolutely no pleasure in another man's downfall, it is reassuring at least to know that he's now barred from taking over anyone else's football club. Newell, in the meantime, had taken Luton up to the second division, and they finished 10th in 2006, before plunging down to the fourth amid financial irregularity charges a massive, highly contentious point deductions, a 30-point deduction in one case. Relegation to non-league in 2009 was unstoppable. Uh, they came close to a swift return three times in four years, but then under the wise stewardship of the venerable John Still, they popped back up in 2014. Uh, they started well that year, but they fell away. Still was awarded the Freedom of Luton in January 2015, but was sacked in December 2015. He was replaced though by Nathan Jones. We're not doing the banana-rama joke. It's been going pretty well since then, hasn't it, Adam?
2: Fantastic. Um, I've interviewed Nathan Jones a couple of times actually. The second time I interview, him, I immediately put a bet on him to win the league, which isn't my reaction every time I interview a lower league that's manager. I can what, assure
0: you. What was it about he's, him? He's just
2: well. I th- first of all, I think he's got an interesting background, having played in Spain as a young player, and he actually let, got homesick at Luton, ironically there, and then went to Spain, which is a bit odd. Um,
1: so I'd better be homesick if you're warm though, and you yeah, a nice yeah. <laughs>
2: But he, I think he's got a really interesting blend in the coaching staff as well, because uh, he leans heavily on Paul Hart to was at Leeds and, and, and Forest and a kind of a proper football man and, and, and he trusts him a lot but he's also got uh, an assistant called Joaquin Gomez who I've also done done a piece with him and he's another guy's he came to England in his late 20s couldn't speak any English he was a PE teacher in Spain and uh yeah he's working in coffee shops in Brighton and worked his way up to part-time coaching he became a video analyst with Nathan Jones at uh, at Brighton under Oscar Garcia um and, and yeah so there's this blend of kind of new ideas that I mean Nathan Jones really into video analysis but he's also got the the you know, the guys on board and and he's just playing great football but not afraid to mix it as well
0: yeah this is something i've i've seen i was at Newport um on the old Rodney Parade pitch which is basically a comprehensive school rugby pitch it was absolutely teeming down with rain and you could see straight away Luton were were able to adapt to it. didn't actually win the game but um but but they they didn't get stuck in the mud um David, what have you made of them?
1: Well, Nathan Jones, I found him a very sort of intense character. I was like when you were uh, when you were speaking to him, but he, he is very intense, and he's this new wave of managers who uh, I think the influence he's had from Spain has helped as well. But, but he's he wants to learn all the time. He's not just content with the knowledge that he had of uh, during his playing days. He, he uh, I think he he realised that he didn't know. know As much as what he wanted to about the game, about coaching, and he went away and he's uh, and he just wants to learn about everything from different facets of the game, from outside the game, and uh, and he brings it all together. And like I said, it it, it's it's sometimes it's great to stick to your guns and and believe in what you what what uh, your your philosophy. But uh, sometimes in, in League One and League Two. It's not enough to do that. You do come uh, and play in some some terrible pitches, and it isn't conducive to good football. So you need to change it a little bit. And, and the fact that he does that, and uh, and he is able to shift and and changes the way that his tactics and the way that he plays, it's 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 what's going to get them in, into the, the next division above.
0: Um players they i mean they are so impressive every time you watch them they score so many goals they've hit 7 three times already this season um and there's some really exciting young talent there uh, most of it uh, spawned by Rob Lee that's true
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Also, Steve Potts' his son's there. as you Remember him, the West Ham yeah. captain. So there's a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a West Ham theme with Marek Steck in goal. He made a mistake against, of course, yeah, against Notts County, but has been very good for them. Um, I think the goals up front are key. They've got Danny Hilton, who's scored goals at that level regularly, but also James Collins signed in the summer. He scored 20 goals for Crawley last season. So yeah, there's obviously goals in the team. They've had the odd, strange result. They lost to the bottom club Barnet, but on the whole, you would have to say. 49 goals scored.
0: It's all right, it's probably, isn't it? It's probably going to go right. right. should be said, though, the game on Saturday really wasn't an entertaining game. Um, I can't recall seeing a football match more like a heavyweight boxing bout. Not because it was particularly violent, but <laughs> both sides full of respect for each other, sort of sounding each other out and the goals from from set pieces. I mean, you watch that game, though, and you watch... I mean, both teams, Luton and Notts County, they look like shoe-ins for automatic promotion, don't they?
1: Yeah, you would have thought so. It's probably not the game that it was billed as, but uh, I don't think either of them would have been disappointed
0: with the result. I was very surprised Luton didn't go up last season. Um, Adam, they're going up this season, aren't they?
2: I think so. The setup there is good. They say it's championship-level setup, and Nathan Jones talking himself up for Barcelona, wanting the Barcelona <laughs> job at some point <laughs> this week. So, yeah, I think big ambitions.
0: Uh, What is their their level? Because it's such a strange stadium, isn't it? I mean... Yeah, you know, the, the one one of the gates is literally built into a row of terraced houses. Um, we had people on Twitter last night telling us stories of going to the away toilets and being able to see into people's kitchens. They're not going back to the top flight in that stadium, are they?
1: No, they're not. They've got a new training facility, which is uh, which is top notch. Um, they're in real dire need of a new stadium. And uh, uh, even fifteen years ago, when my friends went to went to sign for them, and he said he, he walked in the dressing room, the tiles were missing from the the dressing room. Uh, uh, Ceiling, you know, all the like, sort of insulation's fallen down. It says it was. He didn't even have to talk to them. He just walked in and walked straight back out again. And it's and nothing much has changed really. It's still, uh, it's still quite the same. But it's they've, they, have got a great support there, you know, and they and they do fill it even when they're going there with Lincoln in the uh, in the conference in the National League. It was uh, they, they still fill the stadium and it's still a great atmosphere. But they really, really do need to uh, to move to a new stadium.
0: It's a massive catchment area as well, particularly with the people who can't afford houses in London, which is pretty much everybody right now, all heading out to Bedfordshire. So lots of potential, but yeah, they, they certainly do need a new stadium. i tell you what, if you want to go see them, cheapest matchday ticket is £18 and kids' price is from 3 quid to 9 quid. There's hardly any parking at Kenilworth Road itself, um, but the ground's 20-minute walk from the town centre and as the club or website proudly proclaims, as of last month... 2020 developments in association with RCP Car Parks opened a new car park at Power Court in Luton, bringing another 500 much needed spaces to the town centre. With excellent introductory offers available for parking at just 50p an hour, we'd highly recommend supporters use the facility on match days and throughout the week. Woof indeed, producer Ben. Right, it's time for Joe Crilly of William Hill. Uh, Joe, have you ever been to Kenilworth Road?
3: I have actually. I've walked through the uh, the poor person's garden through their terrace house to get into the away end. So and I have indeed. Yeah.
0: Have you ever done in a wee and and looked in an old lady's kitchen at, at Kenilworth <laughs> Road? I should say, not, not in general. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm glad you clarified that.
3: Um, I can't remember. It was a good. It was a good few years ago. Uh, I can't remember whether I used the facilities, but uh, uh, as, as David said, that the ground is rather dilapidated but yeah they they're playing very well this season aren't they?
0: They are playing very well. We're going to get some get some odds off you in a moment. But let's start with Bristol City. Um we're not sure about automatic promotion. What odds can you get on it? Okay, so uh, obviously Wolves and Cardiff are streets
3: ahead in the betting. Wolves massively odds on to actually win the title. Cardiff 5 to 1 to win the title. Bristol City 20 to 1 to finish top, third favourites, and uh, halve that 10 to 1 uh, for automatic promotion. But if you are looking for a promotion anyway, automatic or through the playoffs, they're 2 to 1. And I think that price is a lot shorter because of the fact that they have now opened up a seven point gap between seventh place and themselves. So uh, uh, I think. Even now, after 21 games, I think they are looking like they will uh, cement a place in the playoffs.
0: It's a certainly a lot more positive odds than they would have got this time last year. Oh, um, sure. So yeah. they've, they've taken great steps. Uh, Charlton, I'm, you know, with the best will in the world, I'm not convinced they're going up this season. Am I wrong? Uh, again, they're they're like um, Bristol City. They're they're third favourites uh,
3: in in both markets. So I, th- I think it's just based on the the size of the club. I mean, you you, you tend to see a lot of the bigger clubs doing very very well come the end of the season. I know Charlton have been scratching around for a couple of years now in uh, in League 1, but they are uh, they're 4 to 1 for uh, auto, uh, for promotion uh, and a rather lumpy uh, 10 to 1 again for uh, automatic promotion.
0: All right, Luton, you wouldn't even take my money for a bet on Luton to uh, go up, would you?
3: Uh no, they're actually 4 to 7 to win the uh, the division ahead of Notts county who are 4 to 1 which is bizarre considering they're on the uh, the same points at the moment uh and automatic 1 to 12 but i was having a chat with um one of my former colleagues who is a massive luton fan season ticket holder for about 30 years uh and he said whilst they look like one of the best luton teams that he's seen in a very 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 long time he wouldn't be putting his money on at odds on for them to win the league he said he he's fully confident that they will get automatic promotion, but uh, at 4-7, to seven, he, w- he would much rather go for the 4-1 to one for Notts County.
0: Oh, I think that's fair. I think they're going up. I'm not sure if they'll win the title. Uh, let's, let's turn our attention to the TV games. Um, Sheffield Wednesday against Wolves. Sheffield Wednesday and all sorts of bother now, aren't they?
3: Yeah, and uh, I I noticed that there's been a lot of chat on social media over the last few weeks about the future of Carlos Carvajal. Uh, if you remember, a, a few weeks back, he had... Uh, what people were calling a bit of a breakdown when he, he got some money out of his pocket. Did he rip it up or fold it up or something? Something ridiculous, anyway. Um, and playing Wolves on the run of form that they're on at the moment is not what they want to be doing. The away side, 11-10, so their odds against there, uh, which, to me, looks like a decent price, but then Wolves only went and drew yeah. against uh, Sunderland
0: last week. Adam, are you worried that that Sunderland result might precipitate a, a wobble, or, or was it just... something that happens no
2: I think Wolves are very dominant in that game and it's probably going to be a thing where if if teams are completely defending I think Nuno was not very happy with Chris Coleman's just shutting shop Uh, I don't think Sheffield Wednesday will do that on Friday will they at home so
0: no I think not Uh, Cardiff against Hull Uh, Cardiff coming back to rescue a point last night Um, even with Neil Warnock sent off Nigel Adkins though just taken over at Hull and wins his first game tight one Yes, very much so. Um
3: although the odds don't suggest that Hull 9 to 2, uh Cardiff odds on at 8 to 13 with the draw 14 to 5 and if I was to have to have a bet, I would go for that draw. Uh Hull looked shaky at the back but looked good going forward. Um and and Cardiff have been uh, obviously very good all season, so uh, I think there could be goals in this one. The 14 to 5 appeals to me.
0: And finally, White Christmas. What can we get? Yeah, it's, uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, even in London. Yeah. Now, in order for it to be an official white Christmas, it has to be, was it a flake of snow landing on the roof of the Met Office building? Yeah, yeah
3: so, so what we do is we offer odds on 15 different cities in right. the UK. Uh, and so you can have a bet individually on any one of those cities, uh, and obviously the prices fluctuate. Can you, based can you on have some kind
0: are. of snow cumulator?
3: Uh, you can't because uh it's it's what's called a related contingency so obviously if there was snow in one place it's a lot more likely to uh. to snow in the other uh but we've we've priced all of these 15 cities Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Glasgow, seven to four. They're the favourites. The outsider of Penzance eight to one, but we've collected them all together uh, and if it snows in one of them, it's odds on, actually. So eight to 13 mm-hmm. for snow in any one of the 15 cities.
0: I always feel sorry because presumably there must be some guy on the Met Office roof, like, from morning till night on Christmas Day. And that's, Although, that's, with, that's his, no with his finger in the yeah. air, <laughs> waiting for a single <laughs> any snow float. minute now... Thank you ever so much, Joe. If we want to follow you on Twitter, how do we do it? At footy underscore Joe. At footy underscore Joe. Right, there's just about enough time for any other questions. Ollie Warner, uh, he says, David, who's the best young keeper in the football league? Tom Smith also asks, is Ben Amos the best keeper? So we'll do a kind of combo move.
1: Well, we'll go along with that theme of ex-Manchester United Keepers and we'll say Sam Johnson, simply because it's difficult coming from a big club uh, and being taken out that environment and then getting used to cuz you you think football is in a bubble when you're in a club like Manchester United that's like a that's a, a strong bubble it's like a balloon more than a bubble, really. And uh, a,
0: so, a Zeppelin, yeah. As you will.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's um, yeah. It's good to see that he, he's getting games now in a, in a good club like Villa, and you know, having the the, the pressure of playing for a big club, uh, another big club, uh, but in meaningful games, and that's but, what it's all about. They
0: produce a few, don't they? Dean Henderson doing very well at Shrewsbury um, mm-hmm. as well.
1: I'll take your word for it there, because I mean, you've obviously in your goalkeeper expert knowledge, well, that absolutely. I've, I've sort of didn't sign for farm
0: of Town for nothing, you know. <laughs> Didn't play for Farm of Town Wanted to concentrate on smoking <laughs> Pull calf <laughs> Alright well that's just about all we've got time for David thank you so much You had less than 24 hours to prepare for this And uh, acquitted yourself magnificently oh, Just the same uh,
1: time frame I use for all my shows
0: uh, Where can we find you on Twitter? I am at David Priest 12 Excellent Adam Bate only slightly longer preparation time Played a blinder on your debut Where can we find you on Twitter at Ghost Goal. Is that in reference to Liverpool Chelsea? Yeah,
2: people think that. It's just a relic of an old blog name that a friend of mine started many years ago.
0: Oh, very nice. Uh, thank you to Joe for coming in. Thank you very much. Uh, Producer Ben, I never usually thank, but uh, has a thankless task, making sense out of those Cheltenham and Luton histories. And thank you to you, dear listener, for listening. See you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.